0: Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be kind of a fun thing that I'm going to try out. I've done a bunch of episodes with Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources here on the podcast. And there's so much good uh, information out there that Chris provides. I thought I would do, going into elk season here, 2018, I thought I would kind of do the elk-Chris Rowe greatest hits and I'm going to go back, you know, three plus years ago and pull out some uh, great conversations that Chris and I had here on the podcast. Rather than making you guys go and search for those uh, older uh, archived episodes, I thought I would just bring out the best Uh, In those episodes. So I hope you really enjoy this. I'm going to do a couple of these. I know you get a lot of value out of uh, Chris Rowe and and, uh, what he brings to the table. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast for making this possible and remind you guys that the Go Hunt Insider is doing a free 30 day trial. All you have to do is go to gohunt.com forward slash J Scott. It's free. Go try it out for 30 days. Uh, there's no skin off your back, and uh, you can uh, just go check it out for free. I also want to thank Kuyu.com, uh, Jason Harrison and his crew. Just got word that Jason uh, harvested an awesome ram uh, up in the Yukon, and uh, that's exciting. Can't wait to hear more about it. Uh, also want to thank uh, the Outdoorsman's. Uh, use the JScott promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all Outdoorsmen's products. And Canyon Coolers, if you use the J. Scott promo code, if you go to CanyonCoolers.com, use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. Also, guys, don't forget about Dar Colburn and Jay Pyburn at the Colburn Pyburn team selling real estate in Arizona. Uh, You can get a $500 gift certificate for using their real estate services uh, go to Colburn Team at gmail.com, and uh, you can find out more about that. Let's get right to these episodes with Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. Guys, thanks for all your support of the podcast. Thank you for all of the support of my Instagram. If you don't follow on Instagram, you can at jscottoutdoors. You can also send me an email jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I appreciate each and every message that I get from from every one of you. Uh, I'm going to be up in Alaska for about 10 days uh, getting a second chance here. I was at the Northwest Territories now I'm headed to to Alaska. Hopefully I'll be able to find a big uh, doll sheep to harvest and uh, so we'll be chatting at you when I get back. Thanks for all your support guys. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors Podcast. Today we've got Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources, and it's great to have you on today, Chris. I'm excited to uh, break out some of these elk audio clips and uh, see if we can, uh, you know, break into some of the noises that are being made and why they're making them and uh, how this can all relate to uh, elk hunters uh but uh the the clip has just run in its entirety uh and our listener has gotten to listen to the five and a half uh, minute uh clip and i i think the value of of us breaking it down i think it, a lot of guys are going to really enjoy that first of all chris how you doing? doing
1: all right my friend how are you been
0: oh i'm doing good you know i've been uh Really trying to focus on, uh, you know, getting my body in as good a shape as it possibly can be in by doing a lot of hiking here out of Carbondale. And, um, I think I did close to 10 miles today. And, you know, for me, just getting ready, the, the best thing that I can do is, is duplicate how I'm going to be elk hunting. And, and for me is hitting all these trails um, around Carbondale where anywhere from 6,000 to, you know, 10,000 feet, uh, you know, within a 15, 20 minute drive of my doorstep here has got me, uh, really, uh, I've come a long ways and, you know, in a couple, three weeks that I've been really getting after it. So I'm excited about that for my,
1: have you, have you told people yet? Why? I mean, have you told people what, what tag you drew? (laughs)
0: Well, yeah, I've I've mentioned it on the podcast Uh, for those listeners out there. I drew a Utah beaver unit um, elk tag. Uh, I had 16 bonus points uh, going in, and I actually uh, just saw the numbers yesterday. I I drew a 1 in 172. I'm the only non-resident that has the archery tag. There's six resident tags, so there's seven tags total. Uh, now keep in mind, we do have to compete with spike and cow and, uh, archery deer hunters. Uh, but I believe the spike and cow hunters cannot hunt the last week of the season. Um, so, but seven, you know, archery hunters, uh, limited entry archery hunters. So, you know, the, the quality on the beaver from everything I'm being told is good. And so for me being a, you know, fairly a flatlander coming from Phoenix, Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, there's no better way for me to prepare for this elk hunt than to be at elevation and to be, uh, you know, hiking at the elevation that I'm going to be hunting at. So Carbondale, Colorado is very similar to, to the town of Beaver, Utah, and the unit actually is very similar to where I'm at uh, spending the summer here, and, you know, anywhere from 6,000 to, you know, 12,000-foot peaks. So, um, it's just a perfect simulator, if you will, uh, for, for what I've got going. Yeah,
1: that's nice. That's awesome. I, I, I am, I'm jealous. That's a, that's going to be a sweet, sweet tag.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I was really excited going into the draw, uh, just from the standpoint, I think the dates are about five or six days later in Utah than they normally are. And, uh, you know, I, I I'm hoping that the last week of the hunt that uh, you know the rut will pick up, um, but you know you never know. We we you, you don't know what weather's going to bring. You don't know what the timing of you know the season if they're really going to get cranked up. But uh, I'm going to give it my best and going to have fun doing it. Um, I, I want to dive into these clips uh, and and I want uh, you know a guy with your background. Uh, a a biologist, and you have studied the elk language uh, so extensively, and and your resource, uh, the elk module on uh, row hunting resources, has been such a a pivotal part in me learning a lot about elk sounds. Um, I wanted to have you on this podcast to break down some of these sounds so that our listener could be able to hear someone that really knows what the elk are saying and why they're saying it because I've learned um, to be a good elk caller by mimicking and a lot of times I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say and since I had you on the podcast uh, for the listeners that are listening for the first time you can go back through the archives and there's uh, some great episodes with Chris Rowe talking about elk and what it's done for me is it's actually helped me in my uh, strategy in calling because now not only am I trying to mimic these sounds, but I'm trying to uh, know what they're sa- saying and I'm trying to understand what they're saying. And you've been such an integral part of that.
1: Well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, it's that's. I mean, it is. It's it's kind of a passion of mine. And I I really enjoy it and. And obviously, like we've talked about before, I've built an entire website around it. I do think it, it is important to kind of get an understanding of what they're saying and, more importantly, why they're saying it. Um, this And I love this clip because, I mean, already I know of a couple things that I want to chat about, but um, there, there's so much to it that I think people can get out of it, and even if you don't oh, I don't even know how I'm going to say it. I think the best thing is to do is just, is just to have people just listen to it over and over again and then let's just go through it and, and let's talk about some of the specifics that we hear because there is such... It's so dynamic and there's just so much to it, I think, that people are going to get out of it once they really dissect it.
0: Yeah, and, and you know... For for the listeners out there that maybe don't understand elk behavior and uh you know why these elk are making these sounds, I mean that's why I've bought brought Chris on here to help us because I've been in the boat, like I said, of of I've always tried to sound as good and mimic as good as I can and sound as natural as I can, but to take it an, another step further, which you do on the elk module at Row Hunting Resources is you actually go into why they're making it. Yeah. And I think the more I'm able to understand why they're making it, it really helps me when I'm trying to assess the situation. I hear bulls bugling. I hear cows, calves talking back and forth. And if I just start chiming in you know, with, with saying the wrong thing, it would be as if someone comes into a conversation and, and they're not even talking about the same thing we're talking about, you'd look over and be like, what are you talking about? You're not even in the right context.
1: Well, and that's a big one, if you're in the right context or not. And because it, people need to realize, and, and the same thing goes with this, and you and I talked about this a little just briefly, um, just being able to listen to an audio clip is one thing. But if you don't know the context in which you're listening to it, it's hard to really understand. kind of really, it can be difficult to really understand what's going on. So if you're just going to mimic something based on what you've heard, that's good. I mean and that right there, there's your first layer. Get good quality sounds and, and be proficient in your calling and being able to mimic these things are, is extremely important. But you ha- but the, the hunter needs to realize that when you are vocalizing, when you're running those calls, you are painting a picture. In that other animal's head, they're going to have a very solid expectation of what they should see when and if they come into your setup. If that animal goes from wherever they are to your setup, the entire time, if they've responded to your calling and they are coming into your setup, they've liked what they've heard. You've given them at least something that they feel that they are interested in and that's in their best interest to go check out. But keep in mind, they have a solid visual image, a picture in their mind, an expectation of what they should see when they get close or even when they, especially when they get to the point where they should be able to see you, what I call the doorway. They're going to have a very solid expectation. That expectation comes from the vocalizations that they hear and the meaning that those vocalizations have. So, on, the, on my site, the, the, on the elk module, I, my big focus is a lot of times is on the video aspect of it. In the video clips, we have an entire section, the gallery, where you can watch the stuff like this, or the strategies and action sections, where you get to actually see the animal doing the vocalizing, but more importantly, you get to watch their body language. You get to watch how they interact with one another. You get to see what is going on. And it better helps you understand why they are doing it, which then translates when you start calling, if you went into the field and you mimicked what you just heard, you, you mimic that entire thing, well, it it pays to understand what you just painted a picture in their in their mind because that animal is gonna come with an expectation. And if, it do, if when he gets there, it doesn't make sense or he doesn't, he doesn't get what he's expecting, that's when you trigger them to swing around downwind of you. That's when you trigger them to set up or to hold up and, and hang up out of range. It triggers all sorts of things that the hunter's going to have a problem dealing with rather than if you just used it strategically, got them to come in and painted the right picture so they knew what to expect and you're in the right area and everything was hunky-dory where when they walk and hit that doorway, they're standing right in front of me, and they just take an arrow or take a bullet.
0: Yeah, perfect. Um, let's take a quick break here um, and hear from our sponsors, and then we're going to dive right into the first part of the five-and-a-half-minute clip and our commentary. <whistles> That's probably a good spot there, Chris. Chris, what do you hear in that um, that jumps out at you that you'd like to point out in that clip? Probably
2: the,
1: and this is something that I deal with a lot. I hear this all the time. People talk about all the time about you know I want to sound like a bunch of elk. All right. Well, there you go. That 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 right there. Everybody knows or I would think that a lot of people would know that that, that's multiple animals in that spot. Now, obviously, you have a bull or two in the mix, but most of that vocalization, it's all, the vast majority is all cow vocalizations, all right, cow talk. And there's a lot of people that will always come up and say, well, I want to sound like a bunch of elk. Well, okay, a bunch of elk doing what? I can take you to Rocky Mountain National Park or Yellowstone or wherever, and I can park you in front of 300 head of cows and calves and bulls, and you don't hear anything but crickets or magpies because they're all feeding and they're all relaxed and they're not communicating. Just because there's a lot of elk doesn't mean they're saying stuff. And when they are saying things, there's a meaning and there, there's something to it. So when a lot of people talk about saying, well, I want to sound like a bunch of elk. Oftentimes, when you tell them, you, you ask them, like, well, what do you mean? And, and you have them demonstrate what they're they're talking about you'll hear a lot of people doing what I what I call the chirps and mews, just that basic contact, meh, 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 back and forth. Well, yes, that can sound like a bunch of L. But in this case, if you really listen to this and you pay attention to the structure of the vocalizations that they're giving, you're going to hear there's very, very few basic contact mews. There's almost no chirp. I didn't hear a single chirp in there. I very rarely did I hear any contact news. The almost the the vast majority of the vocalizations you hear in there from cows vocalizing are all lost mews. There's some whines in there, but they're all lost mews. Those animals are looking for a response. They are that th- that vocalization is being used very specifically. Now you've set up this this uh, video, and so people understand what what we're dealing with here, but.
0: Yeah, and for people that were maybe uh, asleep in the intro, basically, uh, this clip is a bunch of elk that are coming out of the trees, working across an open area on their way kind of to a gathering spot, quote unquote, waterhole. It's in Arizona on public land, uh, it's in the evening time. And so you've got a group of, you know, 30 to 40 elk, and they are moving from point A to point B and it, it's, it's exactly what you're saying. One of the things that I heard there was I heard a pleading cow, and I don't know if, if pleading is the right, but it, she's calling to her calf, and the calf isn't exactly responding to her, and you hear her intensify, and you even hear her kind of have a little bit of a growl to her call, and I, I'm curious your take on that, intensity of in my mind in going into English it would be like where are you get over here I told you to get over here what are you doing what do you think she's saying That well, uh, the main cow? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, that the, the prominent cow vocalizing in there is giving a lost mute. She is looking for a response. I talk about all the time about what that, you know, you can have a response that's visual or you can have a, a response that's vocal, and it depends on what the cow wants and, and what she's going to get, but she is listening or she's looking for a response. She is trying to elicit a response from someone. So, if she doesn't get the response that she's looking for, if she if, if she vocalizes, and I separate things out, and generally speaking, a level one, two, or three. Just basically, level one is is very passive. Level two is a little bit more intense, and level three is where you're you're putting a lot of emotion to it. Okay, so she builds it up. You hear her vocalizing, and yeah, that intensity level starts to build, and she starts adding that what you call pleading. Uh, You can hear that inflection in her voice. She drags it out a little bit more. She emphasizes a little bit more. She starts putting a little bit more of that, that strain in that voice. She's pleading, if you want to say that, or she's just really putting the wood to that lost mute to say, I want a response. Where are you? Either give me a vocalization back or show up. I I want you to, to make visual eye contact with me. Where are you? So absolutely, you nailed it. I mean a lost Mew, and that's what you hear throughout most of this, is a lost Mew, these animals are looking for a response and they're trying to stay together with one another, and they're trying to keep tabs on either another specific cow or a specific calf of, you know, either their calf or some other's calf and somebody else's calf or another cow, but they're trying to maintain contact with one another while they move across the landscape.
0: And, and to be clear, when you say lost Mew, you don't mean that the elk don't know where they're at and they're lost. Within the herd dynamic and animals walking around and they can't see their calf. In this particular case, that main cow that, that is making the most sound that you hear, you know, you hear her say, Where are you? You hear her start pleading with it, and then you still are kind of throwing some growl to it, she just can't see her calf within the herd. Correct. It's not like they're just wandering around. They have no idea where they're at. I just wanted to point that out. And then I think it's funny and we hear it all the time where cows and calves are going back and forth. And then all of a sudden the bull bugles and you say, well, why'd that bull bugle? Well, I don't know that it had anything exactly to do with the the predominant cow in this clip making all the racket.
1: Probably not. I, I agree with that. Probably not. She's not. It's not like she's looking for that bull. She's not asking for the the bulls there. I mean, it, she, if she wants that bull, she can just walk over to him. She knows where the bull is. So, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think the bull is just bugling just to broadcast his location and saying anybody else that's out in the landscape, this is where we are, come along with us.
0: Right. Um, we can probably go ahead and, and run another clip here. Christ, stop it there Chris the thing that I want to point out there is and I I say this a lot when guys are trying to become a better elk caller if they can get that real nasally sound and listen to clips such as these you're gonna be way better off even than listening to some of the best elk callers out there because some of the best elk callers that there are, and I've you know, i had the fortune of listening to a lot of the best elk callers there, there is, uh, being a judge in the elk calling contest for three years, it's really hard, even for the best of the best, to, to mimic that real nasally sound, and then within those nasally sounds to have all the different inflection points. And so if you're wanting to become a better caller, Listen to these cows and how it's not the same, you know. Yeah, yeah. Same sound every time. There's all sorts of inflection that they're putting on the call, and that that's something that that I took out of this. And then you could hear those calf mews uh, or chirps. I'm curious to see what you're going to call them, Chris. Um, I've called in a lot of bulls actually sounding like a calf. I don't know why, but I know that I've made those little soft calf sounds, and for whatever reason, a lot of times bulls will just come running over, you know, licking their lips.
1: Yeah, um, for me, I I agree with that. I mean, I agree with all of that. And, and to, just to one thing to clarify so people don't get bent out of shape. We're not talking about specific, you know, when we're talking about don't, you know, don't just focus on people who call or good callers. We're not talking about individual people. We're just, I just, no, not at all. We're just talking about generally, if you're listening to a human do the calling, you can have some humans that are extremely, extremely good, but Correct. they're still going to have a limitation. So if you try to mimic that individual, you are imi- you are mimicking that individual and and you are, are going to be limited based off of their limitations. That's why I I mean again in the elk module I have the gallery. I, that was the whole purpose for that. Listen to the elk because I, I don't think we have the lung size, lung structure, most of us, to be able to push the air like elk do. And so some of the even those subtler breathy sounds that they make are, are gonna be a challenge for us. But if you're listening from an elk if you're listening to the elk, it gives you the most pure teacher that you can ever hope to. To listen to and strive towards so even if you miss the mark a little bit you're at the most pure form that you can by listening to the elk so so absolutely listen to those elk sounds or watch elk as much as you can whether it's video whether it's in person whatever spend time with elk and elk sounds okay and now the other thing that you mentioned and i hope people picked up on that first break when we kind of when we kind of broke it there it was about a minute and a half or so and if you listen to that first minute and a half you'll hear a lot of cow vocalizations and again from what i hear is a lot of lost mews. those those mews that are trying to elicit a response now again like jay said it's not because they're lost that's just a common vernacular for so for people that are just getting into elk hunting and they're not very familiar with terminology for generations, long before I was even born, people that were calling elk generally classified and named that type of vocalization a lost mew because it was a cow that separated and she's looking for someone okay So we just maintain that kind of vernacular. So a lost mew does not necessarily mean they're, they're lost, it just means they're looking for someone. Well that first minute and a half about, if you pay attention or you go back and listen to it, you're gonna hear a lot of cows. Vocalizing, you hear the calves in the background, but you're going to hear a lot of cows vocalizing. Well, the cool thing about this, about at about 120, well, about 130 to 145, you'll hear a transition. All of a sudden, I start picking up a few assembly mews that the adult cows start to tone down their vocalization. All of a sudden, you'll hear a couple assembly mews thrown in there, which that's a cow saying, "I want you to come to me." So all of a sudden, boom, you get a couple of assembly mews, and then all of a sudden, you hear. The bulk of the mature cow sounds fade off, and you'll have a handful of calf vocalizations in there. Now, those calf vocalizations for me are still lost. These those those calves are looking for presumably their mothers or the adults that they were tagging along with. So they're trying to catch up, and they're and they're 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 la- either lagging behind or they're just trying to catch up. They're trying to make that final little contact with whoever they're trying to respond to and show up for, but. The cool thing about this is, and people need to, and I think this is important for people to identify, if you are going to, and, and quite honestly, this whole thing would be classified what a lot of hunters would call excited cow calling. You'll hear people talk about excited cow calling. This, in my opinion, would classify as an example of what some people say excited cow calling. Well. But but it's not. Well, exactly. It's. <laughs> it's it's what some people would call all right, so, But even then, all right, if you listen to it, there are ebbs and flows. There are high points. There are low points. There are there are places where there's a lot of vocalizations, and then there's a places where it tones itself back, and, and only there's a couple vocalizations, all right? So for a solo hunter like myself and like a lot of people, this is where if you want to try to sound like this, couple things. Number one, you're going to have to be running, in my opinion, multiple types of calls. So have a diaphragm in your mouth, have a, a wide read, external read call, maybe have a narrow skinny read, external read call, maybe a hoochie mama or whatever, but have multiple calls at your disposal because like you hear in here, there's a lot of different vocal signatures. That's one another thing that I talk about in the module is I talk about the vocal signatures. Well, you can hear there's a pile of different individual elk because you hear the individual voices so number one if you want to sound like this you need to have multiple calls i don't care if you have a good mouth diaphragm in your mouth the vocal signature of that call is going to be relatively fixed so you can do a high pitch you know calf vocalization or a low pitch mature cow sound but that's it you got two high pitch low pitch you're one cow it's not until you grab another type of call that you're going to impart a, a another vocal signature. And then number two, don't just hammer it and say, you know, stay sustained in your cadence and in what you're doing. Make sure you're you have some air, you know, periods where you're calling fast and furious. And then maybe taper it back, let things sit, let things be quiet, maybe throw in a couple calf calls here and there. But then let that be dynamic. Let it ebb and flow. Let it have some organic component to it. It will sound so much more realistic. It sounds like a tiny little thing. And when you listen to this, you don't even notice as it's happening unless you specifically pay attention to it. But I will tell you, on the landscape, you will be able to tell a group of elk doing this Versus someone over off to the side doing the calling. Now, obviously, if if you have a multiple person set up, you've got you know a hunter, a shooter, and then a couple guys behind or whatever. It makes it much much more easy to sound like multiple animals. But make sure your party, your hunting party, and the people that are doing the calling, still have this all in the same. You're all on the same page. You have this in mind. Ebb and flow, and, and have that organic nature to it.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting, too. You point out the assembly muse, and it, it's very sp- specific. And what happens when she f- a couple of those cows fire off assembly muse? All of a sudden, you get a couple bulls bugling. Yeah.
1: Well, and because they're saying, I want you to come here, and they're responding. Right. You know, the bulls are like, all right.
0: Are you talking to me, or are you talking to your cow?
1: Well, and and a lot of times, the bulls are like, okay, she's saying, I want you to come to me. So that means we're, again, If you, especially when we're talking about mature bulls, people need to remember this. Mature bulls follow the cows. They're not the ones out there leading the cows and saying, oh, we're going down here. Now they'll push them in places. But most of the time when they push them in places, it's to get away from another bull or get away from danger. But most of the time it's to get away from another bull. But most of the time. If a mature bull is doing his job, he's gonna let the cow do the dictating of where we go. So when that cow you got a couple of it, it's very subtle. But when you hear that cow Meh, and drag out that low note, she's saying, I want you to come to me. That means she's staying where she's gonna be. She is where she wants to be. And if that if that bull is like, oh, I need to be over there, he's gonna vocalize and say, Okay, everybody else that's out there that that is, you know, responding to the sound of my voice and is coming my way. We're going this way. This is where we need to be. She's over there. She says, I'm comfortable. I'm relaxed. I'm stationary. I want you to come to me. And even if she's calling her cow, talking to her calf or talking to another cow, that bull's going to be like, let's go. We're going
0: that way. Good stuff. Uh, what do you think? Roll a little bit more? Sure. Okay. Let's, let's stop it right there, Chris. What do you interpret those last cow sounds? What would you call that? Well, that cow,
1: again, she's still primarily doing lost muse. But the beautiful part about that is she's so close to the microphone, you can just hear the subtle stuff. And actually, that that's from the last time we stopped at about 220, until about now which is about four uh, on my on my counter anyway it's about 415 um you heard a lot of dead air in there they, they actually there was very little vocalizations to start but the vocalizations you did hear were just those subtle just whines and just you uh,
0: uh, breathy sounds and that's that ebb and flow you're talking ebb, about too. yeah
1: but more importantly in this one is okay if that bull is in close. If he's close and you need to get him to step out one more step or two more steps or you've got to really just kind of finish that animal to, to finally come into your shooting lane, don't just statically just come and give your just basic run-of-the-mill mew. Because if you hear there, as you hear this, there's a lot of breathiness to it. There's a lot of, you know, some people say emotion to it. Yes, there is. You can hear that. Okay? Add that stuff. And this cow at the end, again, she's mostly doing lost muse, but she's adding those, what I call, you know, you can add, say, a demanding muse. She can say a frustrating wine. You can do just regular wines, whatever you want to call them. But she's at I mean, obviously that's the realism, but she's still uh, trying to elicit a response. She's still trying to get someone to respond to her, and she's just adding that realism that I think people sometimes fail to make and they forget that when you're using a diaphragm you still can add your voice or either your voice or your breathy sounds to that cow you know that cow vocalization that cow call you know we talk about it all the time and a lot of people talk about it all the time when we are bugling if you want to get a more realistic bugle you know you have to add those breathy sounds you have to add your voice sometimes people forget that you can do the exact same thing with cow vocalizations and I would argue you should especially when they're in close especially if you want to finish them if you want to be that little bit better than every other hunter that's on the mountain listen to her and listen to those subtle sounds that she puts in there and try to incorporate those in
0: your calling sequences great stuff let's let's roll it <coughs> right there that that's exactly what you're talking about right there in that second note where she hit it and it exactly changed her tone a little bit and but it it adds a little bit more intensity to it or inflection to yeah, it yeah I talk
1: about the frustrated wine that frustrated wine is a vocalization a lot of times that they'll do it's just it, it is exactly what they talk what it sounds like frustrated and it's a wine it just and you can literally and if you're watching the body language, I can tell you right now, you just watch her and you listen to her, watch her ears, you watch her head position, neck position, body position, she's looking intently, you can almost see the expression on her face where she's like, where are you? Come on. And you, just, you can hear that, give me a response. Somebody, get come come on, where are you? Show up, respond to me, please. Again, people talk about all the time, pleading or adding that emotion. Okay, there we are, take it a step further and say, okay, add emotion to what? Okay, she's giving you a lost mute. That lost mute means something specific. What does it mean? She's asking for a response. It can be vocal or it can be visual, but she really, really wants it. So if you're going to add that emotion, you're going to add that pleading component to it, you're saying, I want a response, but man, dang it, please just respond. Okay, so it adds that level of realism. Yeah, it was a It's awesome, awesome example.
0: All right, let her roll. (laughs)
2: Yeah! yeah. you <laughs> Those
0: elk actually were so close you could hear their footsteps that, you know, the the tapping that you could hear was them literally getting so close to the camera that, they, you know, you could hear them walking. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it, That's what I talk about
1: all the time. Call them to your toes, baby.
0: Yeah. And it just, like you said in in the prior, you know, break or statements, you know, You can, it's so close, she's so close to the mic, you can actually just hear the emotion in that call. You can just hear it. And I can't stress enough that if guys would be a little less afraid of, you know, quote unquote, being aggressive, I don't really necessarily mean, it's not an aggressive calling, but it's like, get out of your box, get out of your shell a little bit as a caller Listen to these sounds over and over and over and mimic these the, the emotion in these sounds. And when you get into the woods, actually don't be scared to initialize contact. And then because you've practiced so much making these quality sounds, don't be afraid to then put emotion in your calling. It'll make all the difference in the world.
1: Yeah. Now, this is where... I will say this is where I will say that yes, but also make sure you're you're doing it strategically and, and for a purpose and know what you're saying. Um, yeah, you don't want to
0: start out just. Yeah, I mean you need to make initial you need to contact and make you know you don't just if if you were walking down the street and all of a sudden you heard so, you know somebody going hey come over here come over here you might run because. You might think the guys over there getting mugged. You know, you know the, the initial response may be not. I'm going to come help. It might be like, I don't know what's going on over there, but I'm getting out of here. Yeah. Well. Or, but the same token, you, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, the the funny part is you could be at a coffee shop and
1: somebody's sitting there drinking a cup of coffee with their friend, and one of them is going, "Oh, this is so good. This is." so so good! Oh, this is so good! Okay, how many of us are going to want to go first? <laughs> All right, so you have contact vocalizations, what I, call, what I classify passive vocalizations, where you really don't want to add emotion, all right? There is no point to add emotion because you add emotion to your basic passive contact vocalizations, you are going to sound very, very straight. <laughs>
0: When, You're going to be a free.
2: <laughs> yes,
1: but but yes, when you are talking about what, and I classify these as targeted. You know, I I talk in the elk module all the time about passive strategies, or in the in the elk hunter strategy app, um, people look at that, and you'll hear me talk about RC. Be talking about passive strategies, targeted strategies, and aggressive strategies. Well, this all of this whole thing fits squarely in the realm of what I would consider a targeted. If if I was doing the calling, this would be a targeted strategy because I'm saying specific things to elk outside of my group. I'm I'm saying vocalizations that are trying to speak to someone else other than the elk that are right there with me, right next to me, that I can see and that I can can engage with on a visual basis. So yes, when we're talking about targeted vocalizations and targeted strategies like this, and we're talking about lost Muse, assembly Muse. Frustrated wines, aggravated wines, all that, selfish muse, whatever. That, yes, pour the emotion into it. But if you're talking about basic <laughs> contact vocalizations, nah, maybe not so much.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's great stuff, buddy. I really appreciate you interpreting these clips with me. I look forward to doing it again. I uh, want to thank you for uh, the great. Uh, resource that you have at Roe Honey Resources in the elk module. I uh, want to encourage the listeners uh, that want to seek out more of, of and get a, a detailed uh, interpretation and get to see the video and, and listen to Chris go through uh, a, a bunch of these elk behavior and, and vocalizations to make sure to check out the elk module. Chris, I want to give you a chance to uh, tell people where they can find you.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. It's just uh, www. dot R O E, huntingresources.com. Hunting and like Jay said, it's it's for those for those of you that if you if you want a deeper understanding, if if you want to have a better connection, and, and really, I mean, just take your calling to the next level and really understand behavior and and understand why these elk are doing what they're doing. Why is she saying what she's saying, and what is the body language? You know, tell you and, and how when you're out in the field if you, if you see this and you hear this if you want to understand what is going on so you have a better ability to predict what they're going to do and what the bull is going to do or what the bull expects and what vocalizations that you might need to either follow up on or do differently that's what my the, or the elk module does and, and my website kind of helps folks do we've got hours I think now it's more just the elk module itself has got more than 20 hours and it's all video based so in a large percentage of it whether you're talking about the gallery where it's just nothing but raw elk behavior, elk footage, elk vocalizations, not necessarily in a hunting situation it's just watching the elk do what the elk do you hear them, you watch them, I provide commentary, I provide you know a breakdown of it or the strategies in action section where we go out into the field in a hunting situation, but we still get to see the behavior, we still get to, to hear the vocalizations, and then I'm actively trying to call them in. When you get to see this behavior and watch their body language, it really does open up the whole new world as far as your level of understanding and of your ability to adapt and change to situations Because everything's out out in the field always changing. And so if you understand why elk are doing what they're doing, you will have a much better ability to roll with the changes and adapt and do what is necessary to get the animal in front of you than if you are just, you know, I'm just going to throw out some random cow sounds or or random, you know, bugles or whatever. So, yeah, if, if folks are interested in that jump on there it's a subscription based uh website uh you, we've got either three month subscriptions or a full year subscription the base price is either 25 bucks for the three month or a 50 bucks for the full year access and jay for and i've always done it for you guys you know if they type in j scott podcast as they go through and check out there's a little spot for a coupon code you can just go j scott podcast and it'll knock 20 percent off so
0: Awesome. I thank you for doing that for my listeners. Um, what do you have uh, coming up? I believe you have an over-the-counter archery elk tag. Um, I don't know how you're going to follow up last year <laughs> um, with with as big a bull as you shot. Uh, what what do you got coming up?
1: Well, I have. The, that's it, good question. Um, I have been given an opportunity to go tag along with a buddy of mine in a new. High country area. He wants he's been begging me to check out. So I'm I'm scheduling right now uh, to go up and, and do a scouting trip with him here shortly. So we'll see what, what kind of bulls we see up in, in his area and see what opportunities there are there. I have the opportunity to go back to where I normally go. If if the same if the bulls that my bull was running with are still there, if they survived, then <laughs> We're going to be talking about a couple more bulls up there in that 340 to 360 class range that, uh, yeah, it might be hard for me not to go, <laughs> to go chase back after. But the problem is, is where these guys live is not easy to get to. So I'm going to have to do some more. Uh, I'm going to have to start working on my legs a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, so we'll see. But, you know, yeah, I've got my elk hunt. I'll probably be able to take that first week, maybe 10 days, and then uh, then I'm off to Arizona.
0: Awesome, buddy. Well, thanks so much for spending time here uh, with us, and I can't wait to uh, crack into the next elk clip. Uh, I want to remind the listeners uh, you're going to be able to view uh, the video of this clip you just listened to uh, on Roe hunting resources on the elk module. And, uh, buddy, as always, uh, everybody loves uh, hearing your interpretations. Uh, thank you for spending time with us here.
1: Anytime. Thank you very much.
0: Alright, buddy. God bless. Guys, I want to thank Chris Rowe for coming on and sharing his expertise with us. I want to remind you that this clip, the actual video clip, will be seen in Chris's Elk module. And you can use the J Scott Podcast uh, promo code when you sign up. I believe it's $20 for a three-month subscription or $50 uh, for a one-year subscription. Uh, if you use the J. Scott podcast promo code, uh, you can see this uh, video clip and also that gets you that 20% off, that $20 and $50. So uh, hope that helps. Uh, hope you enjoyed the Real Elk Sounds uh, episode, uh, part one, and I look forward to sharing more with you. <laughs>
2: hey jason jack what time is it full killing time what time is it full killing time i didn't hear you the first two times what time it's is it full killing time till the sun goes down awesome all right let's go <laughs>
0: <laughs> welcome to the j scott outdoors podcast today we have mr chris Rowe with us from Rowe hunting resources And I believe we released uh, Real Elk Sounds 1, episode 161, and it's already been a great success. I've gotten a lot of feedback from it. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, uh, you need to go back and download and listen to that episode. There's about a a five-and-a-half-minute clip there of some really uh, close cows that are making Lost mews and Assembly mews and... uh, you know they're get more excited they get put more inflection uh, you can just tell there's so many different vocalizations in that clip and I've already gotten feedback of, of how much get, uh, value guys are getting out of getting to hear uh, the the real elk themselves and and of course Chris's commentary uh, on those different sounds make sure to check that out um, Chris how are you doing today
1: doing all right how are you guys been
0: Oh, pretty good. I just, um, my wife and I woke up this morning and hiked up to Cathedral Lake up here above Aspen and, uh, it was awesome. We started, I want to say it was at, uh, 8,900 feet, um, where we started and it, it, the, the, uh, Lake, Cathedral Lake, I believe is at, uh, 11,900 feet and, uh, gained right at 2,000 feet, uh, of elevation. Uh, I think it was six miles, right at six miles round trip. Um, but uh, going up definitely felt the altitude, which is great because I'm getting ready for my Beaver uh, Utah elk hunt, and there's some similar elevation there. And um, so it, it was definitely a training day that was uh, p- picked up the pace a little bit as far as uh, starting at a much higher elevation, and I could dang sure feel it. I've been doing a lot of hiking here. Sometimes twice a day here at, you know, 6,500, 7,000 feet, and you kick it on up to, you know, 9, 10, 11, and even almost up to 12,000 feet, you definitely feel the air a little thinner up there. So uh, we just got back, and it's good to have you on today. Uh, today we're going to have a clip. Uh, this is kind of our part two Real Elk Sounds of, of, of the Real Elk sound series. And I thought it was important uh, to have have a clip like this where uh, we've got quite a bit of bugling, and uh, most of the bugling is uh, coming from one bull. Uh, Let me set this uh, vocalization, this uh, scenario up a little bit. Um, Dar Colburn, my guiding and hunting partner, was uh, guiding a guy named Jeff Hartland, and this is in Arizona on public land, and. they. It was about the 20th or 21st of September. It was getting kind of towards the end of the uh, archery season there, uh, and the bulls were really getting fired up, and Dar and Jeff had hiked into an area uh, before light and heard this one particular bull, which we're going to hear in this clip. Um, and it, you know, when you hear a bull like this, a lot of times a bull with this much, you know, guttural and this much just, you know, deep sound, it's always, you know, I definitely love checking out those, those bulls that have a lot of volume, uh, and that have that deep bugle. Um, although, you know, we've talked about it before, you can't ever judge a bull by his bugle, but it seems like I just gravitate towards those older, you know, more horse sounding bugles. Um, and we've all been on this situation where you think you're on a giant and you get up there and it's a five point that's just you know growling his head off and you know sounds hoarse and um, this particular bull uh, is a six by seven um, he's probably in the 335 340 maybe a smidge better class um, but he just is is ripping it up on this one open ridge and I think it's gonna be um, you know, awesome to dissect this clip with you and first what I want to do is I wanna play this clip in its entirety so the very first thing we're gonna do right here is we're gonna run this whole clip and I encourage you guys that are listening uh, to put your headphones on and listen to this with headphones so that you can hear all the little intricate sounds with the bulls in the distance bugling and what have you. Then Chris and I, once the, the clip is played in full, we're going to come back and uh, we're going to dissect the clip and uh, hopefully provide some value on, on uh, these real elk sounds. So you ready for that, Chris? Oh, yeah. One thing I want to point out is uh, uh, this is public land. Uh, this is Dar Colburn. This is my friend. My hunting partner, and uh, uh, you know, this this the live video of this clip will be featured on uh, the elk module uh, row hunting resources. Uh, if, if you guys haven't checked out Chris's uh, elk module, uh, it's a phenomenal resource, and uh, definitely for any elk hunter, uh, something you you, you must uh, check out and be a part of the gallery that he has and all of the video and all of the, the uh, strategy strategies in action where Chris sets up okay here's the deal here's how I'm gonna approach this um, you know it's just super valuable so I just encourage the listeners to check uh, Chris out and at the end of this podcast uh, he'll tell you how to um, fully fully check it out if you haven't already so let's run the full clip and then Chris you and I'll come
2: back Mmm. Do mm-hmm.
0: Okay, Chris, uh, now that everybody's got to hear the live clip, let's uh, p- let's play the clip and let's go through it. And before we do that, um, I, I want to point a couple things out here. Um, your background is in studying animal behavior, correct?
1: Yeah, wildlife biology, but a definite strong focus in behavioral ecology and communication.
0: Okay, and another thing is... Um, I wanted you on this podcast uh, to do this uh, Real elk uh, series um, because uh, most all of your hunting has been on private land. Is that right?
1: <laughs> yeah, private land owned by the federal government, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so most of your cutting your teeth on studying animal behavior and studying um, elk in their natural environment most of your uh experience has been on public land correct pretty much all yeah pretty much all of it
1: i have had a chance to hunt uh one chunk of private property and th- this could be a discussion for a later time because i mean it is a great lesson but i mean in short i had an 1800 acre ranch elk property that was next door to a, high, a thirty thousand acre ranch that was highly managed for elk that Literally, the, the, the guy, the outfitter, the, the lessee said, Chris, it's the first year we've had this for archery season. I'm giving you 1,800 acres. I want you to learn it, and I want you to tell me everything there is about it for archery season. And I had the entire archery season to myself on 1,800 acres, and it was the most difficult hunt I've ever been on, and I did not kill an elk. So we can talk about that another time, but, yeah, that's the only time I've ever hunted private land for elk. Everything else has been on uh, public ground, and most, and seriously, 99% of the time, it's over-the-counter units with a lot of other hunters out there. I, I mean, I started out just like everybody else uh, when I was in college, and when I was first starting to work, uh, I had a four-day weekend, and that's what I had, and I had to learn to get her done, and so, yeah, that's where it all kind of started, and once I started kind of playing, you know, when I started getting into my biology field, I worked on some elk research projects started to get a better handle of what their communication and behavior and, and all that was. And when I started incorporating that into what I was doing with my hunting, that's when things started to click and I just got engrossed in it. And I, that's where I've just gone from there. So,
0: yeah. And the reason I bring that up is, um, I think it's important, uh, you know, the, the, the loyal listeners that I have here at the J Scott Outdoors podcast, uh, they've gotten to know me over the years. And, um, you know, I, I come from a background of, You know, I've taken 20 years in a row, taking the entire month of September off, literally all 30 days. Uh, The the last 20 years, it's been nothing but uh, chasing elk and listening and studying elk myself, hunting elk, videoing elk. Uh, And one of the things in uh, Arizona uh, where I've done most of my elk hunting Uh, Yeah, it's elk Disneyland, but one of the fortunes that I've had is I have been able to hear and be around a lot of elk and experience a lot of their behavior and listen to a lot of elk bugle, uh, listen to a lot of elk interact uh, with each other, and I know you have as well, but... Um, you know, for, for anybody out there that thinks, oh, Jay just hunts public, you know, private land, Jay just hunts reservations. Well, I have hunted reservations and I would say that, you know, in, in a 30 day season, I've probably heard, you know, more elk than somebody that's maybe hunted 20 years on, on public land. Uh, so that shouldn't disqualify me in my opinion from, uh, not knowing elk sounds. I think that should actually overqualify me. Uh, and I I only bring that up just to make a point. Uh, everybody comes from a different background. Everybody hunts different states. Everybody hunts different areas. And I think one of the big values that you bring, Chris, is your understanding of these animals. And all we're trying to do here at the J Scott Outdoors podcast. My only focus is to, to help people learn and understand and get better, period. I, I don't care if I have someone that, uh, you know, maybe doesn't relate, so to speak, to the listener. As long as the listener can learn and as long as I can learn, that's what we're doing. And uh, I found over the years that I can learn from anyone. I can learn from someone that's hunted something one year and I've hunted it for, you know, 25 years. There's always something that you can pick up uh, if you just listen, if you have an open mind, and if if you're willing to, you know, put yourself out there and 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 really take it in and digest it. And not everybody's going to have the same ideas on a lot of things, uh, particularly you know, elk sounds, uh, you know, weather you call it one thing and someone calls it another. I don't care about all that. All I want is the listener to be able to take information that they hear on this podcast and interpret it when it's happening in the field and be able to make a play that's going to make them better than they were the day before.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I apologize. I'm, I'm laughing here because I know that I know what we've talked about before. And, and when Jay, when, when folks li- well, obviously you just listen to that, the clip and, I laugh because we are we are going to by just default. When Jace sent me this clip and said, "I want to talk about this," I just I groaned. I was like, "Oh goodness!" Because here we go. We're we're definitely going to get in the realm of some controversial. Uh, well, basically, just different philosophy. It is.
0: It's, it's. It's. I mean, it's
1: a fundamental yeah. different philosophy and way of thinking. For as far as I'm for for me, if, for people that value what I value, it is a different layer of, of, of a different level of philosophy, and, and, you know, you hit on it, you know, yes, you've had the chance to hunt some pretty phenomenal places. I have been blessed to hunt all sorts of, you know, from a couple places in Wyoming, all over Colorado, a couple places in New Mexico, a couple places in Arizona. I, I've, been, I've, I've seen, I've had a chance to see a wide variety of places where there are elk, All the way from large private properties and national parks, all the way down to the most raped and pillaged public ground that you can imagine, and well, and even places in Washington, coastal Washington, and you know, elk or elk. Uh, Yeah, yeah.
0: as my buddy Casey Brooks says, elk or elk, they are what they are. Yeah, you know, they're gonna act. Sometimes they act a little bit differently because of you know human interaction, but elk or elk.
1: Yeah, or their or their habitat. Yeah, absolutely, and and it really is dependent upon you know hunting pressure, their habitat that they're in, the the and I talk about this on the elk module, the sex ratio that you've got, the the uh, age class ratio that you've got. I mean, all these things come into play on how elk manifest their behavior from a visible or audible standpoint of, from us as hunters, whether we see it or hear it or whatever, you know, but elk are elk. You can take a coastal Roosevelt elk, a coastal California tule, put it in with a bull from Arizona and then a bull from southern Wyoming. You can put them in a pen full of cows and they will all know how to handle those cows. They will all know how to handle each other all their behavioral clues are going to be absolutely the same. I truly believe are going to be absolutely the same. You might have different inflections of their voice, but the, the they're going to know how to communicate because their communication is the same. Um, but where the controversy, <laughs> and, I, and I do, I apologize, I laugh, <laughs> because I get beat up. All the, I mean, I don't get beat up, but people criticize Um I did uh, on our YouTube channel if you look at it you know there's a YouTube video on our YouTube channel and I put it out there last year is it does it really matter do you really need to know what you are saying um, you just got done with a series with uh, Jason Phelps so I which was an awesome I thought that was an awesome interview you had with with Jason Phelps with Phelps game calls and right there, even even he, he's like, you know, I don't get into you know what the elk are saying or why they're saying it, blah blah blah. I just go, you know, you'll hear that qualification because some of this gets so controversial. Well, we can talk about. I think we're going to have to when we get into this. Um, let's let's talk about my philosophy a little bit and and kind of come from a perspective of, of kind of where I'm coming from. When I talk about some of these things and, and when we're talking about the vocalizations or what they mean or whatever, we'll touch on kind of my grounding and, and where my my foundation is on some of this stuff. But I know it's it's probably a little different than what you're going to hear anywhere else. you know. And I'm not saying anybody else's stuff is wrong. Jay's not saying anybody else's stuff is wrong. Just yeah. provide an alternative. If you want something different than what else is out there, then I think we've got an answer for you. But other than that, it's it's an alternative learn from it take what you want from it discard what you don't want and, and just be a better caller be a better hunter and put more animals on the ground
0: well I I would say this Chris um, you go out in the oak woods every day and uh, you never learn anything right <laughs> you, yeah yeah exactly oh, exactly wait wait a minute do you do you learn something every time you go out?
1: I try to. I don't know if I will. So, so more more often than not lately, the older I get is just
0: how I don't bounce anymore. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> how things don't bounce back. Or the muscles
1: get sore, but yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, if you're going out in the woods and open eyes, open ears, open mind, and just soak it in, even if it's a tiny little tidbit here or there. I, I really do. I try to pick up something new every time. Even if it's not something new, it's something that either confirms what I've already done or disproves what I've already done. And I think that's something we'll touch on here in a minute too.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's face it. It's all trial and error. Um, as much as we want to be elk ourselves and be able to you know, say, yeah, I'm an elk 30 days out of the year. I'm an elk and I sound just like one and I know what elk think. All of us are always learning. And, and I think, um, you know, there's there's... Many ways to skin a cat, and there's many different ways to describe skinning that cat, and everybody's got their own opinion. And I think that's what's what's great. And so I think, you know, um, we're all elk hunters here. Uh, we're all hunters. We're all sportsmen. Uh, we're all human beings, and everybody has a different way of doing things. And uh, you know, you and I could do this. You know, go on the same hunt with two totally different strategies, and probably both be successful. Uh, you know, Well, and, and but, but then there's times when, uh, you know, maybe over a long period of time, there's someone out there that their, their strategy seems to be successful year in and year out. Those are the guys I want to talk to. Uh, that's why I talking to you. That's why I had Jason Phelps on. That's why I've had a lot of the great guests that I've had on because, dang, I don't know, I, I learn every day, the, the older I get, the less I know. I feel like, golly, I, you know, I should know more about this stuff than I already do. And all of my hunting has all been trial and error. I've literally made every mistake out there. I've I've had bulls that, you know, are dead to rights and I blow, you know, squawk a call or say the wrong thing or I'm calling a turkey and everything's going great and I decide to pull something out and, you know, get cute on it and, have, you know, so... <laughs> I've made every mistake there is. Um, the reality is we're all elk hunters. Let's just div- dig into this stuff and, you know, roll around in the dirt with it and come out on the other side, uh, and, you know, not saying Chris Rowe doesn't know what he's talking about or so-and-so doesn't know what he's talking about, saying, yeah, he makes a couple pretty good points there. Uh, you know, maybe I completely disagree with you, Chris, on some things but uh that's the beauty of it let's talk about it let's let's try and get better and you know i love rolling around in the dirt i was
1: gonna say let's dive in head first and hope it's deep enough we don't hit the bottom
0: yeah exactly why don't we why don't we dive into this clip uh here and let's just pick it apart
1: all right now we were talking uh earlier too let me just pause it real quick sorry jay um like you mentioned in the the beginning there are some quiet spots there's some what Right now, you may not be able to pick up uh, on some of the subtle sounds, but in these dead spots sometimes, there are other elk off in the distance that will vocalize that, that I think you know can be an important factor on understanding some of this, and, and we will have a discussion about that. So if you hear a dead spot in there... Um, have patience. Listen, definitely, if you can listen with headphones, it'll be a lot better because I've got the volume turned up and you can always go back and refer to the first clip that Jay put in there because that's going to be the highest quality clip that's in there. And again, if you jump on the elk module, you'll be able to see the video and watch the behavior and everything, but have some patience. The the dead, dead spots in there, there sometimes are things going on in there, so I will let some of them roll, so...
0: Well, and I think those dead spots also, when you play it in real time, give you, you know, sometimes I can edit up a clip where it's bulls bugling every five seconds. Well, the real, you know, seven minute clip, maybe the bull only bugles, you know, six times, but that's how it is out in the woods. Those are real elk sounds, so let's just play it and pick it apart. Okay, so right there, Jeff is asking Dar, what do you think? The bull is scoring and at that point the bull is kind of now into view and they've kind of snuck in on this bull and it's kind of in this open kind of burn area and Dar's kind of telling them I think 335, 340 not a shooter
1: and and that's the thing that I think people have a hard time understanding and I still do I've been down in unit 9 now well, how many years and I still my heart's I mean this bull steps out of the timber and steps out kind of in the open and you're like oh yeah I mean he's he's impressive looking but again down there yeah most of the time a 33340 bull is not a shooter hold, shooter hold out because there's probably something bigger
0: Yeah and they ended up killing a 387 by 7 that's just a awesome. awesome looking bull <laughs> All
1: right I'm going to hit play <coughs>
0: Let's stop that right there, Chris. So, in the background, you heard another bull bugle off in the distance, um, and this bull immediately jumped on top of that bull. In your opinion, is this bull responding to that other bull? Is it just a matter of circumstance that he was going to bugle too, or is it is you know what is he trying to say? In your opinion, you've you've seen the uh, the uh, video. What do you think this bull is trying to say to that bull in the distance?
1: All right, if you don't mind, then I think this is where we start. The, the I'm starting to jump on up and down on the diving board and ready to launch because um, this it, a lot of people that are listening to this. I know for a fact I've been in the I've been in the industry long enough to know that there's a lot of people that are listening to this and be like, oh man, that's an awesome challenge bugle. And then there's other people that are going to be, oh, man, that's an awesome display bugle. And then, oh, that, no, that's a perfect example of a bull calling cows bugle. And so there's going to be all these, uh, you know, the listeners in their mind probably have and all, you know, have already determined based off what they're hearing, you know, some classification of this vocalization based on what they've heard other people say. The problem is, and this is this is where my philosophy starts to diverge from everybody else's, in my opinion... The problem is just that fact that you have three, at least that I can think of off the top of my head, three different quote unquote classifications of what that bugle is, and three different classifications of what that bugle is supposed to represent, and it's one vocal it's it's the it's one vocalization. So which one is right? Or are they all right, or can they be all right, or are, are none of them right? The problem, and, and this is where again, this is, and I'm I, I gotta try to figure out how I want to frame it because there's so much of a, a, a in-depth discussion on it. By all means, if if for those that are my the subscribers to it, they they know this already because I have an entire series on bull vocalizations that dive into this. But in short, unfortunately, I know that a lot of people spend the bulk of their time in the field in September or whatever, and they, they encounter an elk that, that vocalizes this way. And when they encountered a bull vocalizing in this particular way, uh, there were cows doing something in particular. Or there was another bull nearby, and so those two bulls were doing something in particular. Or this bull was off by himself, and he was doing something in particular. And so they, I, they associated the vocalization with what they saw at that moment, and then made a conclusion. They are like, okay, I saw this, therefore, and, and these other things were happening as well, so therefore, I think that this bull vocalizing this way means blah, X, Y, Z, whatever. All right? Now, the problem with just doing that and taking snapshots like that is someone else on a different ridge, on a different mountain, a different state, whatever, and in completely different conditions, completely different sex ratios, completely different age class structure, completely different habitat, whatever, hunting pressure, etc., sees the exact same thing and sees or hears the exact same thing and sees something different. Well, now here we go. We start going down this branching, this nebulous to where you you know, again, one vocalization is considered three different things. And so when we start to talk about them, you know, you say, "Oh, uh, you know, I, oh, he, he did a great challenge bugle," and that puts an idea in your mind. Well, if you if you identify this as a bull calling cows bugle or a display bugle, you're like, "Well, wait a minute." Well, no, that's a that's a display bugle. Well, no, because that and here we go down. We argue back and forth, but we're arguing based off of the manifestation or, or the 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 surface level. Um, interaction that we saw, and and we very few people, uh, very few, ever try to actually dissect it and and rip it apart. And the one thing, and this I talk about in the glunks. So, you know, I've got a video on glunks, and and oh, I, and and to be honest, my wife is a wildlife biologist as well, and. It wasn't until we sat down and we were just going through hours and hours of video that, that she is the one that stumbled on it. And she's like, "Wait a minute! All the other stuff that everybody ever talked about glunks, no. What about this?" And she, you know, she provided a provided a hypothesis, and we started going through the, the process of trying to this is the important part disprove it. And we, and we couldn't. We we really I think identified with glunks. The same thing with this. A lot of people will hear this and then they saw or remember the experience that they had, and then they will try to bolster that experience. And every time they see an experience or hear a bull do it, they try to gather more evidence to prove themselves right. The problem with that is you can never prove yourself right. You can only disprove something, all right? So it's not until you sit and you watch elk from all over the country, you sit... And watch elk from different parts of the season, different age classes, sex ratios, all the different aspects, and you sit there and you watch it in video, and you sit there and you watch the body language and the behavior of the animal that you can really start to boil down and get to the core fundamentals of what possibly could be going on. And so for me, I can tell you, you know, I listen to these bugles. You know, Jay, when you first sent this to me, you are like, oh, man, there's all sorts of bugling. And I kind of chuckled because I really, there is not all sorts of bugling. There's one. There's really one type of bugling. <laughs> now, he bugles a lot, but he's doing the same thing. For me, I classify this as a dominant bugle. All right? I don't use the terminology challenge bugle or display bugle or bull calling cows bugle and that type of stuff because I can pick apart and disprove that analogy or that, that linkage. You know, Correlation is not necessarily causation. Just because you saw something happen at one point does not mean it caused it. So I can take any of those classifications and rip them apart just with the video footage that I have in the elk module. The one thing I cannot rip apart is in all cases that bull is trying to portray his dominance. He is either expressing his actual dominance that he has proven on the battlefield by fighting or or running off other bulls, or he is trying to portray his dominance, and he's trying to give the impression that he is a dominant bull, because again, cows choose the bulls, cows like to generally... Go towards more mature animals, more dominant animals, because those dominant bulls, those mature animals, or those mature bulls protect the cows. Blah blah blah. We can get at all that. It's in the best interest of a bull to sound as as mature and dominant as possible. It avoids fights. It attracts cows. It helps him hold cows. It helps him avoid other bulls, etc. So when you ask the question and you say, "Okay, what does this mean?" You know, what, what is this bull doing? What does it mean to you? And did he respond to that other bull? As soon, for me, and I know this for a lot of the other subs- my, the elk module subscribers, it, but when, once you understand it, that this, when when they're trying to, when they're vocalizing like this, again, I, I classify it as a dominant bugle, and I will oftentimes separate it into three different levels. You know, a lower level, level one, a level two that's kind of medium, and a level three that's very, very intense. This I would classify... That Vocalize, most of these vocalizations right there would be a level two dominant bugle. It's a bull trying to portray that he's dominant and he's coming in at a medium intensity. All right? As soon as I know that, I understand what the bull is trying to achieve. And so when you ask me, you know, is he, and, and you, we talked about this before we started the podcast, you're like, oh yeah, every time that other bull out in the distance bugles, this one responds. Well, I would I would challenge that and say, okay. As we listen to this, is he actually responding to that other bowl, or is he trying to? Well, I don't remember how. I mean, how do we even put it? I mean, is he trying to uh, just essentially deflect the attention away from that other bowl?
0: Okay. Almost like if a cow's standing there and it's like, oh, you didn't really hear that. I'm the one. That's
1: right. It's it's don't listen to him, listen to me. No, I'm the more dominant individual. Because, again, a bull wants to sound dominant. He wants to be the main attraction. He wants to be the most dominant, the most aggressive, the most mature. So that way, if there's a cow standing, like you said, if there's a cow standing in between and she's looking left at one bull and she's looking right at another bull, which bull do I choose? She's got she's to go off of if she cannot see. The bull, again, I talk about this all the time, to see you first, hear you second, smell you third principle. If she cannot see him, the only thing that she can do is evaluate him from what she hears. So, hence the reason why it's in the best interest of a bull to sound as big and mature and dominant as he can so that hopefully she chooses to go his way. And this is where a lot of people will just sit and listen to an audio clip without the video clip, and they make decisions or make make broad, sweeping generalizations. When people get to see this video, and the, the, again, you and I talked about this ahead of time. When you see this video, it's clear. It's it's absolutely clear that this bull is out there, and he is trying. I mean, he's out. If he was a turkey, he'd be out there strutting. You know, strutting yeah. and drumming.
0: He's walking back and forth. He's he's. Tipping his rack back, and he's in essence he's strutting back and forth. Yes,
1: I mean typically I mean, great, you know, low antler displays. Um, he's using that that level two dominant bugle, trying to sound as dominant as he possibly can. But if you watch his head position, his ear position, his body position, you can clearly see he's not challenging anyone. He, his ears are forward. His head is up. His his eyes are forward. He is seeking. He's curious. He's looking. He's he's out there seeking. Can I see anybody? Can I see a cow around here? All right. So I classify this as a dominant bugle for those reasons. And in my opinion, I don't think he is actually responding. You know, like as a uh, I don't think it's a situation where the bull in the distance says, "Where are you?" And this bull goes, "I'm over here." And the other bull says, ah, oh, stay away from there. And he goes, ah, oh, no, I don't think... No, I don't think that that's the interaction. What I think, and you can sit there and you can watch that behave- the, the body language, it is all about, no, no, pay attention to me, I'm better. No, no, pay attention to me, I'm better. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show you. Step out. Come here. Show you. Let me Let me show you.
0: So you're not necessarily saying that he's saying, come over here, bull, and I'll whip you. He's more saying... Uh, I'm I'm doing this because I want to appear big, bad, and tough because I want to breed cows and I want cows to come to me. So, couldn't you technically argue that it is bull calling cows bugle? Yeah, yeah,
1: you, you could. The uh, and the only reason why I do not use that terminology is because. A dominant bugle is simultaneously two different things. It's attractive to cows, but it's also de- it's supposed to be a deterrent to other bulls. Other bulls don't necessarily want to be engaged with another bull, you know, physically. You know, yes, there are, we talk about it all the time, there are lovers and there's fighters. There are some bulls that are aggressive and they, they, they don't mind getting in a fight. I will argue that the vast majority are not that way. They do so much, if you, again, you watch behavior, they do so much ahead of time before they ever lock antlers to give one another visual clues that say you don't want it we don't want to go down this route you know that you know they're they're going to tip the antlers back. They're going to have their ears back. They're going to bear their ivory teeth. They're going to hiss at one another. They're going to posture. They're going to display. Then they all of a sudden they start going parallel and back and forth. And they might weave and parallel back and forth for a while. They'll do head fakes where they start dropping their antlers and they'll throw their antlers forward at one another, almost like they're you know basically you know trying to sword fight. You just they throw the tops of their antlers towards one another. They'll start raking those antlers into the ground. They'll start tearing into trees. It's amazing the amount of stuff, visual clues, visual communication that they give one another all the way before they ever lock antlers, and it's all in an attempt to avoid the conflict. Now, yes, there are some bulls that just come charging in and and they just charge in and want to go. I think that's more the exception than the rule. So this is simultaneously trying to be a deterrent to other bulls. So, yeah, you could say, "Well, you know it's a bull calling cow's bugle. Well, in that case, then every dominant bugle that they do is typically that. you know what i mean it's it's not a unique vocalization, really, I don't think you know when we're talking about a dominant bugle like this, and of course there's you know there's a difference between a dominant bugle and a contact bugle or what I call contact bugle, what other people call a locate bugle or whatever, but you know one is making a statement, one is curious, this is clearly making a statement this is. I am dominant, I am mature, I am a bull that cows should want to be with, so come to me if you're a cow, and if you're a bull, you don't want to mess with me, I'm bigger, I'm more mature, I'm more aggressive, I'm more dominant than you, so just stay away.
0: So then what are the what are the bulls in the background that you hear bugling along with this bull, what are the bulls in the background, are they more contact bugles?
1: You know what, It's it is hard to hear them clearly. But when I put the headphones on and I crank it up, I believe that the bulk of the other vocalizations, as you're hearing, are also dominant bugles. My guess is, and obviously I was not there. All I'm I'm going off of, so I will qualify, qualify this right now. All I'm going off of is what you described to me as the scenario and what I see in this video clip and the behavior that manifests itself in the animals that are in this video clip my guess is you have multiple groups of, bull, uh, of elk. Bull with cows on the left, bull with cows on the right, maybe some other floater elk around there, and I think what you were hearing is basically bulls all displaying, or yeah, again, you could say a display bugle if you wanted to, but they're out there just trying to sound as big and bad as they can to try to keep other bulls away and simultaneously try to get as many cows to come to them as they can.
0: Okay, let's roll some more clip.
1: Okay, and so here's another dead spot for a little bit. Bulls just stand out there looking, just ears up. Okay, you can hear that clearly, that other bull in the distance, that was the same classification of a bugle. And here, let me pause it. And when I say classification of a bugle, listen to the structure of it. And that's kind of what I focus on when I, you know, again, the the vocalizations series. It's it's all listening to the classification of that of the vocalization or the, the characteristics. Excuse me. In this case, you hear that low, deep, guttural, uh, low note, the growl or the rasp, the the just the agret. The if you want to put aggressiveness, you can. You want to put you know growl or what? However, you want to just describe the lead in and the the bulk of that vocalization. The bull is not hes not spending the bulk of his time emphasizing the high note of his bugle. He's emphasizing the low, guttural, raspy, growly, aggressive, quote-unquote, sounding portion of the bugle. So clearly, at this point, it's not a seeking. He's not curious. He's not trying to elicit a response. He's sending a message. This is information sending vocalizations. I'm making a statement, okay? And the other bull, off in the distance did the exact same thing if you listen to the characteristics of the vocalization you will hear. even though the bulls sound different the characteristics of the emphasis of of different parts of the vocalization are the same does that make sense or did i confuse the heck out of you
0: no i think it makes sense um back to something you said if they just emphasize on the high note what kind of bugle would you classify that as
1: Typically starts going back over to a contact people. What what other people say is a locate view. Alright? Now you're That's now it. you're seeking and eliciting you're trying to get information.
0: Okay. Let's roll some more clip.
1: So again, the bull's just standing out there listening to all this. He's just kind of looking
0: around. <coughs> <coughs> There's several bulls in the background.
1: Yeah, I was going to say at this point, I think I can identify three different bulls, and they're all about a se- you know a couple hundred, couple hundred to several hundred yards away from this location. Okay, let me pause it. For those of you that are listening on headphones, if you go back or you want to listen to the the first uh, first high quality clip, it's right about two minutes in, uh, one minute fifty nine seconds into the. The audio, that bull in the distance, you heard it. It was just as clear as day. He hit a high note, but that's fine. But the emphasis of the bu- bu- the rest of the vocalization in his bugle was a that low note. There's no question. Dominant bugle. He's saying and portraying and sending the exact same thing, same information as the bull that's standing in front of the camera. <laughs> Yeah, his head is up, his ears are, are forward. Now he just drops his head, takes a couple bites. This bull is totally relaxed. Even though he sounds so awesome, so gnarly, he is completely relaxed. He's not fired up in an aggressive way. He's just looking around.
0: Okay, stop it right there for a second. Chris, as as an elk hunter, And guys are listening to this and trying to probably say, okay, what do I do as a hunter when I hear a bull doing the same thing in a fairly stationary, you know, in kind of holding in an area within, you know, 50, 60 yards back and forth, what kind of of approach would you recommend that a hunter have to be able to call this bull in obviously dar and jeff when when guys see this clip they are the bulls basically within shooting range most of the whole time that the bulls in this clip yeah, um where you
1: just stop where you just had me stop it oh yeah he's what he just walked wide open what i'm guessing 30 40 yards maybe
0: yeah and i mean you see jeff you see the hunter and you see um the bull in the clip um, you know, just right, just, I mean, Jeff's in the clip, the Bull's in the clip, it's all right there. But from a strategy standpoint for when guys hear this exact, you know, real dominant bugle, how do you approach that as you're, you know, coming, moving in, getting, trying to get closer? What are you, what's your approach?
1: Well, in this, again, you you know me and I've talked about it before um, I do personally lean heavy on cow vocalizations I think uh, the way I anyway my understanding of cow vocalizations and and what I do in a targeted standpoint I would feed this bull assembly muse until I put him in my clients front right pocket I mean literally that I mean, this this bull is just dying to find a cow. I mean, he is. That is the whole point of his whole operation right now. When he stepped out of the timber and he was by himself, that's number one. When again, this is why be understanding behavior and understanding the visual clues that animals, the elk, will give you pays such huge dividends on your success out in the field because I don't care if this bull had 30 cows off to the right. He just left them. He just walked out into this opening by himself. The vocalizations that he's giving clearly suggest he wants a cow. He is trying to attract cows. He's trying to keep other bulls at bay, but he is attracting cows. You've already told me the time period in, in September where this is, which we're typically, if we're talking about that 20th to 22nd, somewhere around there in September, we're talking about right around that fall equinox, okay? So we know there should be cows coming, cycling into estrus. Bulls at this period of September absolutely should be wanting cows as much as possible, He's out in the open by himself, vocalizing in this manner. This bull wants a cow. Give him one, just flat out. And I talk about a targeted strategy using, you know, lost mews and assembly mews and other vocalizations as well. I I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even bother with a lost mew. I wouldn't even be worried about making vocal contact with this bull, bull. I would just flat. As soon as he stepped out the first time, I would have handed him a couple of assembly mews, maybe a frustrated wine in there, just to really seal the deal. But I would, have, and just I want you to come to me, and I would have put him in my like I said, right front pocket, and I would have shot him at three steps if I wanted to kill him. I <laughs> seriously, and, and
0: you would not have bugled at him.
1: No, you don't. At this point, no, and that's the. You know, People think all the time, because I don't talk a lot about challenging bulls with bugles, that I don't do it. That's, that's, not, that's not the case at all. I think there are a few strategic times where challenging a bull is absolutely the thing that you need to do, and sometimes it is all that you can do in order to make that, that scenario happen. A few years ago, I had a, a limited draw license in Colorado. I had hunted for a solid 10 days and I was, I mean, I was putting everything out there. And literally, the biggest bull I had a shot opportunity at, the only way that I got him into range and stopped him where I did was because I flat out ripped out my bugle and I flat went after that bull, physically running after him and literally challenging him and just blowing a bugle like this big, nasty, as gnarly as I could. Until he finally had enough and stopped, whipped around, and came back out to try to either run me off or or fight me. Unfortunately, I had just too many sticks in the way and I couldn't make the shot. It wasn't a clear shot. And He turned around, went back, and took off with his cows and it just didn't happen. But the only reason why I got in that situation is because I challenged that bull. There are times, yes, challenging a bull is by far the best thing to do. Unfortunately, I typically believe... My philosophy is I will use that aggressive strategy as a last resort because where I hunt, public land, over-the-counter most of the time with other hunters in the area, if I'm blowing a bugle like that, I'm either calling in other hunters or if it doesn't work and I bump that animal, well, I just send him out. It may have taken me four days to figure out where the elk were, get in position, figure out what their pattern is. and If it doesn't work it can be very disruptive to their behavior pattern on the mountain. You know, where they are, where they feed, why they come out, when they come out, what time they come out, etc. I don't like to bump them or be too disruptive right off the bat. I like to come in very passively, low key, work them. If it doesn't work, I can back out, regroup, come back that evening, try again, don't, didn't work, I can back out. And if I don't change their behavior A lot of times, I can work with three, four, five different times, and they have no clue that they're actually being worked by a hunter. Sometimes, sometimes, blowing a bugle at them can be extremely disruptive. And I think in this situation, people get all, uh, you know, you get excited. Here's a bull screaming his head off. Oh, my gosh, this is the sexy scenario that everybody talks about, that everybody wants. I'm going to pull my bugle out, and I'm just, I'm going to just blow in his face. Well, the terrain and the openness of this doesn't lend itself to that because he can see quite a, a, a decent distance. All right, He clearly wants a cow. Well, if he clearly wants a cow, why do I want to try to fight him when he I can give him what I know he wants or I can throw something at him and see if he's interested. You know what I mean? It's I can either take a gamble or I can make the safe bet. If I want to kill this bull, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to pick the low hanging fruit. I'm going to throw him a cow vocalization and, and put him in my, ho- in my pocket. If he locks up and doesn't respond, and if he gets himself in a dif- different position where the, the vegetation and the train or whatever, allow me to get a little closer, then okay, maybe I can go to a bugle if I need to. But I'm telling you, Experience has taught me. I can show it to you so many times on the elk module. You give this bull, you give a bull like this, an assembly mew, it's over. You are either going to kill this bull because you want to harvest this bull, and you're going to do it on the, you know, Primos talks about the top pin. You're going to shoot this bull at 10 yards or under, or you're going to let this bull pass, period. I mean, the, the, the end of discussion. This
0: bull wants a cow. Give him one. <laughs> give the big boy what he give wants. What,
1: yes, give him what he wants. Start there. And then if if he doesn't respond, if he if he's because okay, I know that the the argument some people are like, well that bull, if it's that open, Chris, well that bull could get out there and just stop and look and then he could display and you know that Yep, you're right. But if you you know if you get on the module and you start to understand what an assembly mu sound sounds like and what it means There's a difference in his behavior and how he's going to engage that vocalization. But yes, he could stand out there and stop and display or or stand there and look and and stare, and they do. Okay, that's fine. But if he wanders off, just let him wander off, regroup, do it again. You have not changed an ounce of his behavior. However, you blow a bugle in this situation and he is not an aggressive bull, he's not a fighter. He literally could turn 180 degrees and go, oh, crap, Somebody, I'm out of here, and turn around and go right back to the cows or go right back in the timber and walk off trying to avoid a conflict he doesn't want to be in.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've all been in situations with humans where you see someone that's strutting around and bowed up and, you know, talking big, but as soon as, a you know, someone that walks in the room that everybody knows is the toughest guy around, all of a sudden the big bowed up, you know, the, the guy that's all bowed up a lot of times he's out the other door and off he goes. Uh, yeah. you know, so it, it, it I think it's that scenario right there too. And I
1: think we both agree in this case. I mean, again, folks, I I I've, obviously I have a self serving interest on in it. I want you to subscribe to the Elk module. But it's cheap. But anyway. Uh-huh. It's, it's
2: cheap, cheap. <laughs> 20,
1: <laughs> 20 bucks I well, mean it's 20 bucks for the three months or 40 bucks for the full year come on but anyway
0: when you watch this video wait a minute that's if you use the J Scott podcast uh, yes, yes promo code. yes
1: yes so I mean if you watch this stuff oh you you see it and you clearly you clearly understand it that Jay I think you'll agree with me here I'm just gonna if if a th- Okay, this bull is clearly in the three thirties, three forties range. Would you, and I think you, I think Dart said yeah. that. I think you agree with that. Okay. Yeah. He now, even though his antler quality is that, for me, I look at the body of this bull, and I'm guessing. Well, I'm going to throw it out there. I think this bull has got to be at least what six years old.
0: Yeah, I was going to say six to seven. Okay. You know, he's got a solid body. Um, he's just. You know, it, it, he may be a bull that he's always 335 and really never gets that much better. I mean, he, he's got a pretty decent-sized body.
1: Yes, he's got a good chest. He's got some good, decent body mass. The reason why I'm focusing on that is because in the animal kingdom, there are going to be two things when you're when you talking about a bull in conflict and judging one another from a dominant status. Body si- size matters. Sorry, guys. Size matters. All right? So... <laughs> antler size matters but body mass matters just as much if not more okay because that's what they're throwing around they're throwing around their weight now if a, if a bull has a, a unique antler characteristic you know say he's got some big honking third tine or, or, or second time that just jabs him you know his opponent in the neck easily okay he's got a he's got a characteristic that gives him a slight advantage because he, he can poke the heck out of his other uh, opponent but if they're even if they had equal matched antlers another bull walks in here that's bigger body size I really am not convinced that this bull wants any sort of conflict I bet you if, if, a, if a 360 370 bull walked out into this meadow and came up you know if again you watch this video there's a little slight knob there's a little ridge if that bull if a bigger bull walked over that ridge I can oh I would bet you strong money this bull would turn 180 and walk away. He'd be like, whoops, I'm out, and I'm going back.
0: Right. Yeah, and is this the case that if, you know, if this is Monday Night Football, and you're sitting up in the booth, and you're able to sit here and watch this scenario, and let's say Dar pulls out his bugle and just rips one, would you be going, what is he doing? What is he doing? Where's the assembly
1: muse? Uh, that I, I would be doing that. I, now, this is, again, this is where me being the analytical one and the, and the guy that always wants to play and tinker and, and test, I would immediately be like, what the heck are you doing? All right, I want to see what happens. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would. I'm like, all right, let's see what happens here. And there's a couple times I do that on the, in the strategies and actions section. You know, I, I just finished up a, a video that's going to be up there right now or very soon um, where I do that. I, I'm clearly... It's a situation where I'm calling cows. There's a bull. He's got two cows. Clearly, the the larger group is behind me. These cows have no clue I'm there. This bull see, kind of sees me set up. He wasn't quite sure, but he knows something's not right. But the cows are oblivious. And so he's trying to keep the cows sequestered away from me. He's not sure he wants to come in, but the cows don't want to be with him. The cows want to be with the rest of the group. And so I just, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to call the cows. In. Forget the bull. I'm going to call the cows. So I start hammering that targeted strategy and start calling the cows. And sure enough, they split. One goes left, one goes right. He's toast. He can't control both of those cows. So it's done. He's, he's, he's got to, he, he's, it's over. That bull is At that point, that bull is callable. Well, in there, I'm like, well, you know, based on a variety of things, I decided I'm like, well, I'm going to give him a bugle. His head was blocked. And I, was, I sent him a bugle just to take his temperature, see what he thought and what he was interested in. He didn't respond one way. He didn't. He just completely ignored it, and he was more focused on his count. All right, fine. Scrap the bugle. Go back to the cow calls. Go back to the original strategy. I don't mind testing the waters a little bit. But, yeah, if, if Dar had grabbed his bugle here and ripped one, I, I, would, have, I would have been like, what are you doing?
0: <laughs> All right, let's keep playing it.
1: Bull's just gently walking. His head is a... <laughs> great just great chuckle i mean he's just relaxed walking his head is in a neutral position ears are forward his eyes and ears are up now
0: he's his head is up he's seeking so wait a minute pause it okay i hear that and i think he's fired up he's mad yeah he's not is he
1: no and and see again.
0: Uh, uh, <sighs> but what okay, before you say something. 25 years worth of education on elk calling and there's, you know, been a lot of people that have given their opinion. The the general opinion is when you hear a dominant bugle like this, you instantly say, "Oh, he's fired up and mad." Yeah. And he wants to fight.
1: That's why. That's why ninety percent of the of the hunting public calls it a challenge bugle.
0: Because they're like, oh
1: yeah, he wants to fight. He, he's challenging
0: those other bulls. Okay. So my question for you is: In his behavior, what are you looking for? That oh, he is mad and he does want to fight. What is the difference in what you're seeing right now?
1: You're gonna if you watch a bull and he starts getting aggressive and he wants to fight, you're gonna see his head in a different position. You're gonna see his ears in a different position. He's gonna hold his rack in a different position. He's gonna start swaying that head back and forth. He's gonna make exaggerated movements with that rack. He's I mean he's there and the gallery again. This is why you and I appreciate the partnership we have on this because I think the video is so important to see this. The this not only this series is on the elk module in its own section but the gallery that I have in there shows us you know I I can't tell you I mean I I really I don't know off the top of my head how many clips of the gallery I have in there that absolutely destroys the typical notion of a quote unquote challenge bugle because it's not I mean you watch them in so many different scenarios that they're clearly not challenging another bull uh, the the number one scenario where you'll hear this vocalization is not anywhere near another bull. It's literally when a bull goes up and scent checks a cow, he, want, he, he you've seen it, his antlers are up, his head is up, he's lick, 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 and he's going behind the cow to taste and scent check her. When he goes up and scent checks her, if she is not receptive, two things are going to happen. One, she's going to drop her head, she's going to chew, 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 and she's going to do submissive chewing, which indicates that bull... I'm submissive. I'm listening to you. I'm not ignoring you. I'm, a, I'm I, I recognize your dominance, but I am not receptive yet. So I'm going to move away from you. All right. So she's going to do submissive chewing. As soon as she does that and moves off, he is going to. I will tell you right now, ninety nine point nine five percent of the time, he is going to rip off with a level two dominant bugle. That's just it's just what they do because he's he he came in, he checked her. She rebuffed him. He's right now, instantly, I need to establish my dominance. Wow, I'm the, I'm the man. You, you should want me, okay? I'm the one that needs to breed you. I'm your guy. So, yes, you rebuffed me now, but I'm right here, baby, okay? So, when people hear this type of vocalization, a lot of time, I know it's the sexy side of elk hunting and calling elk, challenging him having him come screaming in your face. It's awesome. Okay? But most of the time when you hear a bull doing it, I will I will postulate, I will put out there that he's probably not challenging another bull. He's probably either doing this, trying to broadcast himself, give the appearance, the he's again, just like we talked about in the last one and I know we've talked about in other ones When we vocalize, we're painting a picture. We're putting something in their mind. They are expecting to see something based on what they hear. And what they hear is going to paint a very vivid image in their mind. They know what they should expect to see or encounter. So when they bugle like this, they are painting a very vivid picture. All right? So, yeah, most of the time, no. No, they're not not challenging one another, and they're not being aggressive. They're painting the picture that they're a dominant, mature bull, and they're just broadcasting that out there so that way the animals that cannot see them perceive them to be at least dominant, mature, aggressive, what have you. And this bull, his head, his head is neutral, his antlers are up. Now, when he bugles, he lays his antlers back. That's fine. But when he's walking, his antlers are in a neutral position, his ears are forward. He's seeking. Every now and then he lifts his head up. He's looking and his eyes and his ears are in concert with one another. They're, they're looking and, and he, listening in the exact same direction. He's just, he's out, He's cruising the landscape looking, seeking.
0: Okay, let's keep
2: listening. <laughs>
1: All right, let me pause it there for real quick. Actually, Jay, when we talked about this first time, you know, if you heard this, the snapping twigs, if you're not watching this, then you, he kind of tears into a, a burned-up little pine there that's all just dead sticks. No, actually, I, I changed my mind. yeah Originally, I thought he just kind of ran into it and then just took his frustrations on it. No, he walks up, puts his head down, and I mean, he just purposely throws his antlers into that little poor little tree and just annihilates it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I remember watching, and he just he just knocks the whole tree over. Basically, yeah, just, just shears
1: all the branches off that one side.
0: Uh, yeah. But but again, he's not necessarily challenging. A bull. He's more just dis- displaying some dominant. Right there in that clip, he is displaying some dominant characteristics. Or dom, you know, he he's definitely by knocking that bush over, or he just got tired of seeing that bush and wanted to knock it over. Um, so I, I think, but that's attractive to to the cows too. Yeah, no, I th- would, I think you're right. I mean, the first thing you said. No, he walks
1: up and he just he looks. I mean, you can see him look sideways and he's like, "You're done." <laughs> and he just he whips his head to the left and just takes all the branches off of it. I mean, yeah, that's exactly it. It it makes him feel powerful. It makes him feel more dominant. It, it the sound of that him destroying things makes that seem like goodness gracious, you know, there's somebody up there and he just destroyed a you know, it it adds to that persona that maybe we've got a mature bull up there. Maybe if I'm a cow, hmm, maybe I I, I kinda like the sound of that. Maybe I go up and check him out and see what see what he's all about. Alright, maybe a play? Yep. <laughs> Now the bull's turned around and he, and he starts coming back, and and this is the cool thing. And I, uh, you push boss because we're gonna to want to hear some of this stuff. But oh, if you watch this, you got You got to watch this. I mean, I don't know how a random, uh, I this bull gets to a point where he can literally walk straight or just randomly turn left. If he walks straight, he is going to walk between Jeff and Dar. I mean, this bull is on a dead. Beeline towards Dar. I thought for sure they were going to be in a situation like you posted on, you know, with that bull just in your lap. But for some reason, this bull turns at the last second and and goes left, and then goes right back around him. But I thought for sure he was going to be in their laps.
0: I I'd like to make a point here about that exact thing because there's a lot of guys out there that that don't call a lot, and they like to you know kind of spot and stalk and try and shadow those bulls and getting close. Um, if if you have the wind right and you're able to get close to a bull like this and you're not a caller, a lot of times if you hang tight or close the distance when you can, when it's, when he's walking away, if you can keep shadowing him and just kind of stay in there with him, especially when a bull is kind of walking on a ridge back and forth doing dominant, you know level two dominant bugles where he's just kind of you know he's he's throwing it out there there's a good chance that he's going to turn for whatever reason and start coming right back your way and give you the shot so i want to encourage guys to get get as close as you can and shadow these elk and and try and you know you never know when that bull's just all of a sudden going to turn around and walk right by you broadside and give you that shot
1: absolutely and that's another great point um you know there's some extremely extremely successful hunters that do very very little calling they just shadow them and and spot and stalk them or they just listen to them and they just they just charge in there uh dan evans comes to mind i mean that guy has killed some just (laughs) incredible oh my gosh if anybody go to you know check out dan evans uh, trophy taker and, and look at his trophy room Goodness gracious! It'll make you it'll make you sick on the the number and size of the bulls he's killed, and I think Dan ninety percent of those bulls he he's just snuck in on and does very little calling. So calling is a tool. Even though I'm passionate about vocalizations and communication and behavior, and I love to call, I will be you know I'll be the first to say calling is just a tool to use to help you put that animal on the ground, and in this case. You didn't need to do a lot of calling, if any, because this bull is right there. And what you, what you touched on right there is, is huge. Now, like I said in the beginning, we're letting the dead spots in here roll in real time. Now, I'm sitting here looking at my monitor, and I've got the video editor up, and so I can actually see the audio, uh, the graphical display of the audio. And if you look at his bugles... They are really evenly spaced in time, you know, like maybe a minute apart, just boink, 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 boink. I mean, he's very predictable on his timing of his bugles. The thing is, though, is the dead space in here really isn't that long. I mean, while we're sitting here on a podcast, it might seem like forever, but this whole scenario unfolds in about 7 minutes, 20 seconds, and... Seven minutes and 20 seconds, this bull goes from completely off screen and, and or completely in the timber and he pops out to literally walking by the shooter within 20 to 30 yards, two or three times or tw- oh, twice, one's going and one's coming back. You know, that's a very short amount of time. Patience is key. I show in the gallery and in the, especially, especially in the strategies and actions section, where it's all video-based strategy... Okay, for for the people that want a little bit more detail on that, the gallery section in my, my Elk module is Elk, raw Elk behavior with no interference from me or anybody else calling or doing it. It's just watching them naturally interact with one another on their own, by themselves, without any outside influence. The strategies and actions section is me going out in the field and say okay here's the situation here's where i am here's why i'm where i'm at this is what i want to accomplish i think the elk are up here i'm going to use this strategy let's go and let's see if it happens and i go in there and we call the elk in and you know whatever or whatever happens you get to see it unfold in those in all of those cases 99% of the time i will let them run full on real time and I know that there's one that's an hour-long clip, and people are like, goodness gracious, that's the most boring. Yeah, it's a, it, in some cases, it's a boring one hour. But the beautiful part about that is is you get to see, I started my calling in the beginning, and I don't move. The bull is there, the elk are there, and an hour later, that bull's standing 10 steps in front of me. Have patience to let the setup unfold. If you know what you're saying, why you're saying it, you get a a fundamental understanding of behavior, body language, and that type of stuff, you will have a better ability to let the setup work. Don't just automatically go, oh, it's not going to happen, and get up and move and move and move. I know there are some very, very successful elk hunters that are aggressive. And yes, there are times where you need to be aggressive. However, I think people... Can sometimes get themselves into trouble by being a little bit too aggressive, too soon, and not letting a scenario play out in the time that the elk want to play it out. Remember, they have nowhere to be; they're already there. They they don't have kids to pick up from soccer practice. They don't have to work. They don't have work to get you know back to. They don't have to get back to lunch or. They've got. They are there. They're where they need to be. So they've got all the time in the world. If you're watching their body language, you're watching their behavior, you can sit there and judge and say, no, I've got time. This bull is relaxed. He's not going anywhere. As long as the wind is not, in this situation, as long as the wind is not swirling, let it play out. Let it play out. Want to hit play? Sorry, I didn't mean to get out (laughs) of here.
0: No, I like it. (laughs)
1: The branches you just heard is him walking under a tree, just incidental contact with his antlers. At this point, this bull's got to be no more than what fifteen yards, maybe. Yep. Wide open. <laughs> All right, now I, I just pause it, Jay. Um, we were talking before about this, and I, I, let me let me go ahead and just give people a little heads up. I want you know I want to let people listen to this and listen closely to this next section. Okay,
2: the bull went up,
1: turned around, came back, and just walked by the hunter like 15 yards wide open. And now the bull is headed back in the direction from where he came. All right, now off in the distance, up against the tree line, there's another elk standing there. It looks like a cow, but I'll be honest, with the way the sun glare is and the other vegetation stuff, it could be a spike. Don't know. My guess, based on his behavior, I'm going to bet it's probably a cow. All right? So the bull is turned now, and he's walking back towards the timber. He's walking back in the direction where he came from. But from here on out, I want you to listen very carefully, and then we're going to talk about something here in a second. Sound fair enough? Yep. And the funny thing is, is, I mean, he literally heads back to almost the exact spot he came out in. I mean, like, literally the same tree he walked by. I'm going to pause it right there. I said for folks to listen carefully. How many people picked up on the fact... That, that was a different bowl obviously you can't show hands I mean it's a podcast but <laughs> I mean that that if you're paying attention and you're listening to the characteristics of the vocalizations being made yes the structure of that vocal that vocalization right there was similar to the other one but it was a completely different vocal signature he didn't have the depth that the other one did he didn't have the level of growl that the other one did. He hit a little bit higher of a high note and held it maybe a little bit longer than the other one did. The structure's the same. He emphasized that, that growl in the beginning. So in my book, that's still the same classification of a vocalization, but it's a different vocal signature. And again, when we when we talk back what, what we were talking about in the beginning, you know, people hear something. And then you just go, oh, well, that must be such and such. Well, it's different than I heard over here. Okay, it's different. Are the characteristics of the structure of the vocalization different or the same? If they are the same, the structure and the characteristics of the, the, the build of that vocalization are the same, and it's just a different vocal signature, it doesn't matter if it sounds different. It still means the same thing. All right? All right. Everybody has a different voice. My voice is different than Jay's. Jay's is different than, you know, who knows? There's some people that have a naturally low voice. Some people have a naturally high voice. Some people are really aggressive with their but it, it, Vocal signatures can be different. It is the structure of the vocalization that is the critical portion that is important when you are trying to communicate. So hopefully people picked up on that. And, and then the other thing, too, is you hear... The, the snap crack bot, you know, the, the, the hoof beats in the, the gravel. This second bull came up over the ridge and followed essentially the path that the bull had previously taken. The other, the, the original bull had previously taken. And I think Dar was, I think he saw Dar move. I think he either saw, and the way the sun is glaring off the, the lens of this, I guarantee that the, the lens of that camera is glaring. I think the bull saw something he wasn't quite sure of, so that's why he just spooked a little bit. And he starts to trot, and because he starts to trot and he's spooked a little bit, he's gonna go to where he feels safest, which is where? Literally literally right where the bolt where the original bolt just went. So you you want me to just hit play and run to the end and then we can continue or Yeah. All right. So you hear him just trot. And at this point the first in this second bull is a nice bull what do you think he's maybe 310 bull
0: Yeah I mean I just not a not a shooter for this hunt but just you know I, I don't really dig into it too much other than it's not a shooter I guess yeah. but yeah 300 type Yeah
1: bull. so I mean he's a nice bull but he's not as big as the previous bull that I guess that's my point point. and so as this bull starts trotting and the bull, this new bull is trotting because he's a little spooked trotting towards the elk that he can see well he's not going to trot towards the other big bull he sees this cow or what we believe is a cow and so this smaller bull starts trotting to this other cow well that the original bull that is where now and unfortunately the cliff ends but that's where you see a body position change in that first original bull all of a sudden he's like who the heck and he sees this new bull trotting towards that cow and all of a sudden, you see his shoulders come up, his head gets stiff, his antlers are, you know, kind of. Le- now he and he all of a sudden, that first bull starts to parallel this new bull, and he's just bluffing, he's just blocking him, he's like, no, 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 don't you get too close.
0: Yeah, but notice that he did not turn and charge at him. Oh, I think that's the thing that kind of solidifies your uh, hypothesis, if you will, or your or sure, your sure. theory is that. You know, if he was truly um, super, you know, like I want to, you know, I'm challenging any 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 oncomer, and then an oncomer comes, he would just, you know, if him. if the theory, yeah, that he would have laid him out. Instead, he's kind of paralleling and going back where he came from, like, uh, oh, I'm gonna go make sure he doesn't get with my cows, but I also, I didn't see any behavior where he's like turning and. Like I'm gonna come over there and pummel you. No, nope. he just he basically he was trying to scramble and put himself in
1: between him and probably, uh, and this is just a guess, probably where there are probably other cows down in there. He just basically ran interference. He's like no crap, and he's just trying to cut him off. But you're absolutely right. If that bull had been super fired up and aggressive, he easily could have whipped around, thrown his antlers down, and charged. And literally, I bet you he would have he would have at least. Bluffed that bull away and 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 deflected him, but he didn't he just got up parallel to him, paralleled him, kind of raised his shoulders, dropped his head and antlers a little bit, and then just basically paralleled him and just intercepted him and just ran interference. This is where yeah. and this is where I'm like, oh don't don't hit stop. <laughs> just keep the foot, keep their footage rolling.
0: yeah, I hear you. well, we covered a lot of ground today. And as always, I really appreciate you coming on and and sharing your insight and your commentary. I want to give you a chance to let the listener know where they can find you, Uh, Chris. So could you please do that?
1: Sure, absolutely. Uh, It's just www.roehuntingresources.com. It's R-O-E, huntingresources.com. Again, we have an elk module in there you can subscribe to. And if you use the J. Scott Podcast, all one word, J. Scott Podcast, when you check out, there's a little spot for a coupon code. You enter that, it'll take 20% off. So it ends up literally, it's being 20 bucks for three months or $40 for the full year. And we've got more than 20 hours worth of, of this. I mean, just of, of good quality video where you can see the behavior, you can see the interactions, the discussions about it and dive into this stuff. And, and again, I know it's not for everybody, but if you want a little bit of a deeper understanding and, and, and you really want to dive into some of this stuff, We provide an alternative for, you know, resource where you can go and do that. So, and then of course we got our Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. It's all the same row hunting resources. So
0: awesome. Yeah. I encourage everyone to go check it out. Um, and you know, we're, we're here kind of mid part of July and, um, you know, elk season's right around the corner. Don't say that.
1: Say it's early July. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I've got more time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's, uh. It's coming fast, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm getting excited every day, getting more excited and getting more fired up, as I know a lot of the listeners are. I know you are, Chris. So um, until our next Real Elk Sounds uh, clip, until the next uh, part of the Real Elk Sounds series, uh, I just want to wish you the best. I want to thank you for coming on, and uh, God bless you, and uh, thanks for all that you do, buddy.
1: Absolutely. Thank you as well, and be safe, and look forward to talking to you next time.
0: Okay, buddy. Sounds good.